Welcome to Make Work Fun, the podcast exploring the fun side of the creator economy. We're the show all about business with a bit less of the business. I'm Ben Bradbury. All right, welcome back to Make Work Fun, your one-stop shop for everything happening in the creator economy and how we're having fun in the process. I'm Ben Bradbury, and I'm joined today, as always, by the lovely, the handsome, Mr. Brett Dushevsky. Brett, how are you doing today? Uh, thank you for the compliments, Ben. You're too kind. Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, excited for another episode and to talk about what's going on in this ever-evolving creator economy. Yeah, and one of the things when I think about the creator economy is the platforms that we have and how each creator is really dialing into what you might call your golden channel. And today we've seen a couple of platforms spring up. We've seen TikTok spring up in a big way, but there's also this other one which Gen Z are taking a huge turning to, which is Be Real. So we're going to get into uh, Be Real today. We're going to have a debate about why the platform's important and what you need to be paying attention to. We're going to look at some of the data that's coming out of the creator economy as well and what the demographic of different people who are entering into that, what's the split of millennials and Gen Z. And then Brett, you've got an interesting story at the end as well. Why don't you tease the audience with that one? Yeah, so it kind of ties into the stats on the creator economy, but uh, we're seeing being an influencer and creator become more and more of a popular and viable career path for a lot of young folks. So no longer uh, being an astronaut or being a professional athlete, it seems like folks want to be famous influencers on social media. So we'll talk about that and how it ties into, uh, again, this ever-growing creator economy. Pretty crazy. Kids... 50, 60 years ago, wanted to be Neil Armstrong. Today, they want to be Logan Paul. We'll, uh, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> we'll find out why. Well, let's get into our first story of the day and why Be Real is turning heads. So what's kind of interesting to me about Be Real is this kind of gets back to the principle of less is more. So for those of you that aren't familiar with the app, you are given a two minute slot at random during the day to take a picture. And it takes a picture of the front of your phone and the back of your phone. Why? For authenticity. You can stage a picture to the back, but maybe it's a, a nice picture of you, but it's been photoshopped or what's going on behind the scenes is something you don't want to share. And so with Be Real, the whole idea is giving this window of authenticity into your content. Brett, how do you think creators should be thinking about this kind of stripped down and authentic approach to their content? It's a great question. And it's exciting to see a new platform emerge, right? I couldn't believe that after TikTok, there was going to be something that evolved so quickly that became so popular so fast. And, you know, I think the debate is whether it will last or not. But to talk about how creators can leverage this more authentic stripped down platform, you know, I was thinking that they can use it as a complement to other platforms as a way to connect closer to their audience, again, in that more authentic way without it be, being overwhelming, right? Because on Be Real, you only post once a day. So that's all you need to do. And then the next day is going to be the same thing. And I think it's interesting because we all post at the same time on Be Real if you're participating. And so if I follow, let's say, I don't know, Charlie D'Amelio or Mr. Beast, and they post at 4 p.m., just like I did, because we all got the notification, I can see what Mr. Beast is doing at 4 p.m. in Charlie D'Amelio, and it's like, oh, we're all at the gym, right, at the same time. And I think it gives that raw, unfiltered side that you're so curious about with your favorite creators, without the edits, right, without the filters. Yeah, you see a real rise at the moment on YouTube of day-in-the-life content from college athletes, professional performers, people who want an authentic behind-the-scenes look at someone's life. And that's what I think Be Real speaks to, is 
the unmanicured, unfiltered, raw truth of someone's life uh, who can be a high performer, but that can also be your friend as well. The other thing I think that's really interesting about Be Real is because everyone's doing it at the same time, it has cultural liquidity built into the platform. So when everyone, let's say we're doing this at 4 p.m. on a Thursday, I might be working, you might be revising, another person might be partying, and it gives you this talking point to go and talk to other people's about other people's lifestyles. You can say, oh, I wasn't expecting you to be here, or that's funny that you were there, or oh, I can't believe you were with this person. So Be Real is very of the now, and I think that's the trend that we're seeing in media. 50 years ago, you had to wait until the morning paper or the TV show at 6 p.m. to get that hit, but now it takes minutes or seconds to be in the conversation, and Be Real lets you do that. And I think people love that. Like they love getting the be real at two o'clock on a work day and they can take a picture of like them at their desk and something on their screen. And, uh, you know, people love to like zoom in and see what folks are doing. So it really does add that, uh, you know, fun effect there. And uh, I think there's another great feature about be real in that one. Everyone is posting at the same time, so it kind of reduces that burnout aspect of being on the app throughout the day. Everyone posts, and then they'll go and consume what everyone else is doing, and then there's really nothing left. Uh, But also, consumption on the app requires creating. Uh, You can't see content without posting. It's literally locked. So like, I haven't posted in a while, and I can't see any content on the app until I post. And so I think that that is interesting and a concept that I was thinking about for other platforms. Uh, And I'm curious if you think that the Be Real concept can work on another platform, like maybe Twitter. Or I know it's shifting to Instagram, but the idea of posting at the same time once a day and not being able to see the content until you do post yourself. Well, I think if one platform taught us that gated or rather temporary content works, it's Snapchat. I remember the first time I used Snapchat nearly 10 years ago, I thought, this is the dumbest thing ever. Why would I take a photo that disappears? And then I got it and I realized that the temporariness gave it scarcity and that when you have scarcity, that increases an object's value. And that applies to media as well. It's kind of like what you see with with NFTs. There's only 10,000 bored apes. There's only one Snapchat for 10 seconds. Then I became hooked on it because I thought this is this is a really interesting is a really interesting idea. Now, as for whether this can be used on other platforms, I'm always really hesitant to recommend whether this can because what we're seeing at the moment is this very copycat effect where social media platforms are just becoming a bad version of TikTok. YouTube Shorts is trying to do the short version of TikTok, but without the recommendability, without the shareability. Instagram Reels is trying to do TikTok as well, but it's built for friends and family. It's not built for interest-based discoverability. And so people are just trying to clone what works right now. And I don't think pivoting to content just off the top of my head that is two minutes is going to solve anyone's growth challenges. It's not going to provide an innovative experience because be real has actually thought about that from like first principles from the ground up. You have to, if you're going to do that, you need to bake that into the DNA of your platform. You can't just build it in as a little feature, especially let's take Twitter. All Twitter content pretty much can be consumed whenever I want it to be. Even Twitter spaces, you can record afterwards and then post on your page, even though it's a, it's a live recording. So it goes against the ethos of the platform in that case. So I would steer clear of that as a strategy. You know, another point about the content 
uh, you know, you have two minutes to post. So constraints breed creativity. So people are sitting down, they get the notification. One, they should ideally just take the picture of them sitting on the couch, but they'll probably want to get up and go and take a picture of something. Uh, so it would definitely be interesting to see how people get more savvy with it, but there is a more laxed attitude towards it that everyone is posting something raw. So there's no pressure for me to go and take the best Instagram picture. And then there's there's brands uh, that are taking advantage of Be Real. I saw that Chipotle and this cosmetic brand Elf are joining Be Real uh, to basically show behind the scene pictures, uh, share discount codes and stuff. And I guess to show like, hey, we're brands, we have employees that are real too, and, and we're doing it just like you. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out as well. And if they build a playbook that creators can mimic. Yeah, it is interesting seeing brands on the platform. And I do actually think that it could work for brands, specifically if you have an existing set of eyeballs to your brand and existing brand equity. It's a great accelerant for that. You can say, hey, here's the here's the thing that you see us do every day at Whataburger, but here's now the behind the scenes of Whataburger. Now, the reason I bring that up specifically is because I don't think I would ever build on Be Real as my first platform. And you can learn a lesson here from TikTok. So I was listening to Colin and Samir recently on their show, and they were at VidCon, and they were saying they were amazed at how TikTok influencers with 20 million plus subs, uh, followers couldn't fill up a room at VidCon. Half the seats were empty. You think about that, like, wow, 20 million people following this person. Why can't they fill a room? It's because TikTok is such an ephemeral place and you haven't built the brand affinity that you get on platforms that are longer length like YouTube and Twitch. And so I think Be Real fits into that TikTok camp. It's very similar to Snapchat, very similar to YouTube Shorts, here today, not even gone tomorrow, but gone in the next minute, the next two minutes. And so it's very much this cool hit when it happens in the here and now, but I think it's very hard for creators to build affinity over the long time when people are using your app for less than five minutes a day. I guess there is you know, a downside to using Be Real as a way to start from scratch. Uh, and so that's why I say, if I'm a creator, you know, use it as a complement to your other platforms. Like if you're a big Twitter creator, or even if you're a big TikTok creator and have built an established following on there, use Be Real to kind of show that raw side of you. Uh, and that's why I think companies like Snap and like Instagram, who are working to adopt the same feature that Be Real has uh, may see a bit more success because folks can actually build established followings on there already. And then this is just built in as like an additional feature on there for them to play around with. So definitely excited to see how Be Real evolves. It seems to be all the talk nowadays. Uh, everyone's saying that they're bearish on it, they're bullish on it. Uh, but I really just think we don't know. Uh, you know. It's up to the users to see how we uh, build around it and what Be Real uh, what steps they end up taking to, uh, you know, combat their competitors like Instagram and Snap, who are moving very quickly and have the resources and the network. All right. So for our second and final segment today, we are going to talk about some rising trends in the creator economy. According to Adobe, the creator economy in the last two years since the pandemic has grown 119%. Now, Adobe, I think, is uniquely qualified to get this figure because they have these apps and so they can measure the usage of Photoshop, Lightroom, Premiere, etc. What I do think is interesting, though, is how the pandemic may have been an accelerant for the creator economy because people had more time to spend at home. And so when you're not seeing people so much, 
people who want to get ahead, work on themselves, work on their skills and working on video editing, working on graphic design, working on writing, all these kind of spokes of the content creation wheel, the pandemic was kind of the perfect place for it. So Brett, I'm not really surprised that we've seen this increase in the creator economy since the pandemic. I think because there have been so many platforms, creative platforms that uh, we've seen pop up over the past couple of years that have been like no code or low code, it's really given a lot of people access to tap into their creativity and to build side gigs off of it uh, or to just start you know, freelance posting on their social media pages to build a following. Uh, I read something back in like July that the creator economy, there's like 50 million people consider themselves to be creators, which is a wild number. And to see that this growth of the creator economy from Adobe stats is quite interesting. What we need to begin to do is have a clear definition, what it means to be a creator and perhaps how that differs from the word influencer or just user on a platform that's posting. Uh, and so I think that that is going to be something that would be super useful uh, as we move and evolve the creator economy to ensure that, you know, we have the right stats that we're using to uh, define how large this industry actually is and the growth that's taking place. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, because it's so early, there's just a lot of language which doesn't exist yet. And I think this is something interesting about the formation of any industry. If you think about Silicon Valley, which is regarded as one of the technology hubs of the world in the 20th century. Silicon Valley essentially just started as a group of friends who started meeting up and talking about computers. And so these industries always start small and that's where we are right now, but it's gonna get bigger. So in about five years time, I predict that there's gonna be this whole new style of role, which is gonna be the creator talent scout. So just as how in the music industry, you have scouts who go and find upcoming up and coming artists and build them into their system, or in football, uh, you have agents who go out and view young men and women who are great players or who have great promise and bring them into their academies and build them up. We're going to see the same thing with B2B creators. There's going to be people whose full-time job it is, is to synthesize data points on the internet, look at thousands and thousands of pieces of content every single week and find the very best. And then cherry pick those creators and become known as tastemakers and paid for their ability to spot potential in the media ecosystem. But that's just, to your point, that's language that just doesn't exist yet. So we have to lay the foundations to, to get there over time. It reminds me of the Scooter Braun, Justin Bieber story where Scooter Braun was just watching YouTube like late one night and came across this young Justin, Canadian Justin Bieber singing and immediately saw that this, this young man was a potential talent. And of course, Justin Bieber has risen yeah. up to be uh, potentially one of the biggest pop stars. The to, Justin uh, Bieber. Yeah, the Justin yeah. Bieber to ever walk this earth. And Scooter became a scout, right? He was able to, to spot talent. And I think the same idea with creators that you can see folks posting content on YouTube or Twitter or who have a very niche, small newsletter and be like, there's a lot of potential here and we can help build this person up or partner them with, with different brands, right? If uh, a big uh, consumer company is looking for a build a creator unit, you know, here are folks that we can turn into your big brand advocates that have these mediums and can create great content around uh, what you're uh, building. This brings me back to something we talked about on our last News Roundup episode about how there are titles that are evolving at companies that we've just never seen before, like 
head of newsletters or head of talent products. Like these are all new things that are evolving and folks are kind of confused what it means, but soon enough, these are gonna become mainstream job titles, just like creator scout or something you know, of, this, of the sort. We're seeing the shift, and this is something we believe at Workweek, the shift from individuals to, or from institutions to individuals, I should say. People trust people now, and what we're seeing is that bigger brands are becoming much more aware of this and more sophisticated in how they're reaching out. So I was speaking to someone who operates a podcast network this last week at a conference, and he was saying, back in 2013, 2014, when a brand came to work with me, they'd kind of say, oh, I think I want to start a podcast, but I'm not really sure what directions can do, what the goals are. And he'd very much have to think that through with them. Whereas now the brand comes to him and says, we have these very clear audience-driven objectives. We want this brand awareness. This is how we want to measure it. These are the impressions that we're looking for. These are the demographics we're looking to reach. And so brands are just getting more sophisticated in their understanding of how this game works. And so I think the other opportunity for creators is to match that sophistication. So rather than just saying, I'm a creator with a newsletter and I post it once a week, you should be able to say to the brand, I have this many subscribers. This is my unique open rate. This is how I've been growing over the last week, over the last month. Like that's how these kind of conversations happen. And so the more sophisticated you are, the more opportunities are going to present themselves. Interestingly enough, as we're seeing the creator economy grow, I came across a survey uh, from Higher Visibility that revealed one in four members of Gen Z want to be influencers or creators, whichever word you want to use, for their careers. Uh, and 16% of those surveyed, okay, 16% said that they would pay money to become an influencer like as a career. Like they would literally pay to, to be able to have this opportunity. And I think that the reason for that is because creating is what humans right, were meant to do. Uh, we enjoy the arts uh, and this allows us to do that. And it's a viable career path because you can make a lot of money off it. And there's just high levels of fulfillment and, and happiness, especially what we see with our creators at Workweek. Um, they definitely speak to that. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on these statistics? Are you surprised by it? Have you heard similar stats uh, around the internet and, and on social media? I will say, I think it's kind of a beautiful thing, which is more and more people want to get paid to express themselves. That's what an influencer should be in its purest form. And a lot of them aren't. There's a lot of inauthenticity on the internet, but in its purest form, a successful brand deal happens when the influencer loves the product. If you don't love the product, you shouldn't be promoting it. And so that's why the best people in this game, they genuinely love what they do. And brands want to be attached to that enthusiasm. When I think about someone like Jordan Peterson, who's gone on to build a very lucrative media empire around his ideas, he spent 20 plus years as an academic in Toronto figuring out his take on human psychology and his view on the world. He clearly loves that. And now he promotes all these other brands on top of that, but the, the love of the game came first. And so I think we're just seeing more and more opportunity open up there, which is really cool. And so I think you can see a link there between people who get paid to do what they love and high levels of fulfillment. It's like you and I, Brett, we both work hard. And I think I can speak for both of us when I can say we both love what we do. There are some real highlights week in, week out, working where we work. And we're not unique in that regard. I'm sure people, there are people listening that have the exact same thing here. And so 
people are being able to get paid for what they love, have a lot of fun at work while they do it. And so I don't think it's a surprise that we're seeing this shift towards more people wanting to follow that as a viable career path. When you're younger, right, you generally have these wild aspirations. Like I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a professional athlete. I want to be a fireman or a teacher. And the reason you have these aspirations in mind is because uh, these are the early jobs that you're exposed to as a kid and you see fulfillment in them and think that they're cool, right? Going to space is awesome. Playing in the NBA or MLB or being a professional football player is really great. And now being an influencer, creator, YouTuber are what the kids are exposed to early in life and what they see as an attractive career path to, again, as you say, be able to do what they love and then make money doing it thanks to all these platforms and all these startups that are building products to make the creator economy an actual economy. And of course, the crazy money you can make, one you know million dollar brand deals for a sponsored video, you get free products. So it's super exciting to, to hear all that. And I don't remember growing up thinking I wanted to be a YouTuber, but YouTube was definitely up and coming when I was growing up and I was making videos myself, but I never saw that as a, a viable uh, career path. And as you said with Jordan Peterson, he had his whole career to kind of formulate what he was really good at understanding. And I just worry that some kids are too much chasing an outcome, like being the next Mr. Beast or Logan Paul or Jordan Peterson. And they're falling short of understanding the grind that it took to get there. The years of understanding what they like and what they are knowledgeable at and how to right, disseminate that information or content. Uh, so that's something that I'm just keeping an eye on. And folks that are listening that may be Gen Z and are aspiring to be creators and YouTubers, uh, you know, to Fall in love with the process, right? Not the outcome uh, as you're building up to be a creator for a full-time career. I do think that that's not necessarily exclusive to the creator economy though. Like people, humans have wanted the easy path since time immemorial. You know, right. there would have been very average doing Romans who would look at the emperor and go, God, I would kill to wear that purple toga. That's just human nature. We want we want the shortcut. We want the the outcome without actually seeing the grind that went into it. I think a good question you can ask yourself is if you're gonna have that aspiration, if you really want someone else's lifestyle, would you be prepared to do a complete and total 100% swap with that person? Because that's how it works. If you want their life, you have to have every piece of baggage that comes with it. So people look at Mr. Beast and they go, oh, I'd love to have Mr. Beast's channel. He has over a hundred million subscribers, makes sick videos, gets amazing budget. Okay, mate. Well, Mr. Beast also has Crohn's disease. Would you like that too? He also spent three years doing absolutely nothing but analyze YouTube in his bedroom while his parents hated him for it and told him to get a real job. Would you like that too? Like those are the things that you have to have. And so yeah, extreme people get extreme results, but you have to decide if that grind is for you. It's like that saying, everyone wants to be a beast until they have to do what the beast does, or everyone wants to be the CEO until they have to do what the CEO does. So you're right. It does uh, apply to any career path, but talking specifically about the creator economy, you make a great point about Mr. Beast, You know, even a point about doing what we're doing. People want to be in other people's position until they actually have to do what that person did to get there and what they do on a day to day. So I'm excited about this growth. Uh, I'm optimistic about the rise of creators and influencers that we're going to see, you know, for the good. And I'm just excited to be a part of all this and be active in the creator economy and working alongside great people like you, Ben. I appreciate that, Brett. 
Well, this has been a fun episode. Thank you everyone for tuning in. I share Brett's optimism and I hope you keep on creating. I hope you keep on innovating in whichever little nook of the internet you live in. As always, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on Twitter. Uh, Brett is at Brett-underscore. I am at Ben Bradbury underscore. Uh, We'd love to start a conversation and we will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Keep the fun coming by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend? It really helps us spread our message. We'll see you next time.